There suddenly seems to be a decent amount of anxiety over whether or not Justin Jefferson will sign a big extension. So let's check in on that whole situation, plus a couple entries in the Everyman series on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You like that? Three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can find this show wherever you find your favorite shows, uh, whether it's pretty much any podcasting app, including Sirius XM's podcasting app, very exciting, uh, as well as YouTube or Amazon Fire or Roku. If you just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app on those smart TVs. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NFL and they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. Today on the show, I guess I I, I need to we should check in on the Justin Jefferson thing because people are getting kind of antsy and we've got to sort of regroup there. But also. Hey, every man on the 90 also means Justin Jefferson. So we'll talk a little bit about his story. And a lot of people don't know how close we were to completely missing Justin Jefferson in NFL football entirely. Like there were a lot of moments where Justin Jefferson maybe would have never materialized at all as a player. And it's really interesting to think about the NFLs uh, of all of that, the the what ifs and, and the different timelines. But before we do that, um, I guess I want to start with there was a an article at Pro Football Talk. This is a Florio report. So, you know, take that with whatever you credibility you lend it, uh, that the Vikings, it's, it's so wishy-washy. I hate it. I hate talking about this stuff. Like I hate engaging with stuff that's this non-committal because like, let me read you the the exact wording. The article says, and I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Yell at me if I forget, which I I do about half the time. (laughs) Uh, but the article reads, verbatim, read it, read it out loud, quote, there's plenty of noise out there that the Vikings will wait to extend Jefferson. Uh, and the implication is that they will wait to like next year or something like that. Kind of because they can, because for Jefferson holding out wouldn't mean anything and you, you let it go one more year and for whatever reason, right? Um, so uh, that's an idiotic idea if that is what the Vikings are doing. And the article goes into a bunch of reasons for that. You know, you're, you're going to get uh, extensions for guys like T. Higgins, C.J. Lam- CD, CJ, CD Lamb. Um, you know, you're going to get other big contracts. It's going to make if, if you wait till next year. Now you're racing against a Jamar Chase extension. And now that's the deal. And it's like you, all of those will up Justin Jefferson's price versus getting it done now. Plus, you don't want that situation to get contentious. There's all these other reasons not to do it. I don't need to go over that, right? You can think about that for 12 seconds and figure that out yourself. Um, but <laughs> the reason the reason this drives me nuts is because it, this is not like a report of this is happening. This is, hey, there's some noise out there that the Vikings are thinking about maybe. And the whole thing is, if this happens, this is why it would be a bad idea. It's all very if, if, maybe, when, maybe. Uh, and it's really important to keep that in mind. Because all of the citations of this have been, oh my god, they're not going to extend him this year. So that's not what he said. He just said that maybe, right? And if they're considering that idea, I think it's a bad idea. If they end up extending him in a month, nobody is going to care that they thought about it. And... I remind you, we talked about this a lot in the draft, 
Think about who wants that information out there. Vast majority of the time, and I think this is a little less true with Florio, who will kind of report everything, um, but the vast majority of the time, when you're hearing a report from someone, they have the blessing to report it, right? When you get guys like the Strib guys or, you know, the Rappaports and the chef and the Shefters and, um, you know, the the whether it's a local or a national beat reporter, Pelissero, whoever, they aren't just coming out and and giving up, you know, state secrets that were told to them in confidence. If you are on an NFL team and you tell Mike Florio something, you know that's getting out there. Um, and so you kind of have to understand, okay, why would they tell him that, right? Or is that just somebody being good enough friends with Mike Florio where they value that over their own loyalty to their own team that they coach and or, you know, work for? That's kind of the assumption you're that that those institutions ask you to take on faith. But a lot of times it's, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours a little bit, right? There's a, uh, a reporter, I won't name names, uh, it's a baseball reporter, so way in a different world, but I know a guy who knows a guy. And um, this guy used to, I think he's retired now, but anyways, this guy used to um, say, hey, I know that's false. You know, he would do his journalism. He would, somebody would tell him some rumor and he would do his like journalistic duty and he would say, I, I know that's false. I'll say it anyways, but you're buying me a very nice steak dinner. And, he, and that would be the way, and he would, you know, preserve that relationship and essentially say, he would be able to come back later and say, hey, I reported that for you. I got that out there. You know, stay open with me here a little bit. And he could use that to channel other information. Adam Schefter, in fact, works on a sort of similar uh, system where he will take information. Hey, you know, I know this about the Buccaneers. And if I'm talking to the Saints, maybe I'll give you some Buccaneers information if you give me your information and I can report it and stuff. It's it's all very give and take and very quid, quid pro quo with that exchange of information. And so this is how things that are just straight up lies can get out there and be reported by reputable people who have those reputations for a reason, maybe even knowingly reporting it. I don't know what Florio is doing or if he uh, just kind of heard a rumor and ran with it. Um, but it's all just keep in mind that there's a lot of possibilities there. Everything that we have heard out of the team so far, everything that Jefferson has said, everything he has done uh, outside of skipping OTAs, which nobody in the organization has an issue with, and he isn't going to hold out of camp or anything like that. Uh, he's not going to do any of that. This dialogue seems to be everybody's taking it in good faith. So the idea of, well, we're just going to kind of hold drag our heels and make you wait a year or the idea of Justin Jefferson holding out seems like we're pretty far away from that right now. If I'm going to try to read those tea leaves. So this one just doesn't quite pass the smell test for me, uh, but who knows whatever will happen. And yeah, of course, if it does happen, that's a really bad idea. But I uh, implore you. The Vikings do a good enough job of making you mad. You don't have to get mad at stuff they haven't even done yet. You can be like, that That would be a bad idea if it happened. And that's all Mike Florio says, to be totally fair. Uh, but like you can, you can say that would be a bad idea if it happened. But you don't have to be too mad about stuff that didn't, they didn't even do. <laughs> and they might not even do, right? Um, I promise you, they'll do something else to make you mad. You'll, you'll get to be mad at the Vikings if that's what you need. They'll, they'll give you something. You could, you could set your watch by it. <laughs> um, but truly, 
Justin Jefferson, I feel like we haven't, we've lost our appreciation for Justin Jefferson a little bit. I've seen people talking about what if we traded him and what if, what if we, he's, he, you know, we got our couple of years, we should sell him, for, flip him for assets. What if he goes to free agency? Maybe we can get a comp pick and uh, we need to, we need to regroup a little bit. All right. We've lost our focus. So I don't know if some of you know just how close we were to not getting Justin Jefferson. And I'm not talking about Jalen Rager uh, getting picked by the Eagles and how the Eagles could have taken him. No, I'm talking about how close Justin Jefferson was to not even really being a name in our national consciousness. Uh, and he's also going to be playing next to a guy that uh, I feel like we've also come to take for granted a little bit. So we're going to do a little bit of the Everyman series for a couple of wide receivers this year. Before I do that, I want to talk to you about bird dogs, which are pants that make you look just gosh darn good. All right. They have stretch khaki shorts that are designed to, designed to fit slimmer through the thigh so they aren't like baggy. And they can really shape your uh, formed, sculpted, Adonis-like thighs. <laughs> Give you that, uh, that fantastic look. Oil yourself up underneath a little bit and you'll have ladies swarming you. Or men, if that's what you're into. Or in between. Uh Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better and they fit a lot better than regular everyday shorts that are usually made of a stiff restricting cotton that again, it doesn't like form fit and it's just kind of baggy. Uh, and maybe you got a little some, some you want to show off. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bird dogs in, uh, fixed this issue by inventing a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki. So you get the same fashion of khaki, but it stretches to get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. And they use an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on NFL for that free Yeti style tumbler that you can get with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Thank you so much for those of you who do listen to this show. And for those of you who, who appreciate the Everyman series, my hashtag everydayers that listen to this show every single day and can hear all these stories, I really enjoy this part of the season where I can get a little flowery. And I uh, really appreciate those of you who enable that. I want to take you all the way back to the beginning with Justin Jefferson as a little, little kid, like three-year-old kid. Uh, and his two older brothers, Ricky and Jordan, LSU fans, will also be familiar with them. Um who would play sports as, as older boys do. And, you know, they'd be like playing basketball or whatever. And, and you know, there's like always that little, like there's three brothers and one of them is a lot younger than the other two. And he's just kind of tagging along and he's just always running around this little kid holding a big old bat, like a basketball that looks hilariously big for him. And, uh, that's Justin Jefferson. He's just kind of always around sports competition. And eventually as these guys get more into football, always around football, five-year-old Jefferson, six, seven-year-old Jefferson running around catching passes from Ricky. Who's learning how to play quarterback, uh, in high school. And then eventually getting ready for college as, as, uh, Justin Jefferson gets a little older. That's kind of the world. There's this like empty lot by their house in, uh, Louisiana where, they would practice. Eventually, Ricky Jefferson would go to LSU, and eventually Jordan Jefferson would go to LSU to follow in his brother's footsteps. Both of them almost didn't. Uh, I mean, you know, recruiting can could have ended anywhere. 
for either of these guys, but both of them ended up going to the same school, and it turned the Jefferson household into such an LSU household. You know, his, his parents knew all the coaches, uh, Ed Orgeron and Les Miles, um, all become very, very familiar with the Jefferson family over this time, an important detail to keep in mind. Um, but honing in on Justin himself, there is a soccer game uh, going into his freshman year where he gets a slight injury. He uh, hurts his elbow, which isn't a huge deal, but it gets him into an x-ray exam. And by the way, he's like 5'7 at this point. He's you know, going to be 14. He hasn't really grown up, and he's this like scrawny, skinny kid. At no point up to this point do you see any athleticism at all. He's just the little brother that tagged along. Um, and that x-ray reveals insane growth plates. And that's kind of the thing where you can look at a boy that age. It's like not quite uh, going into puberty yet. And you can tell how and actually predict how big they're going to grow. And it was clear that Justin Jefferson was going to grow big. Uh, and that there was going to be an athleticism that that comes. But he was a pretty late bloomer. He wasn't fully athletic. He hit a growth spurt after his sophomore year of high school. He was on JV his first two years of high school. And then after his sophomore year, he hit a growth spurt, made the junior or made the, the varsity team as a junior, but he was still like gangly and awkward. He had knotty knees and uh, he didn't really know how to like, you'll see this a lot with high school kids as if they just ha had a huge growth spurt. It's like, how do you run now? <laughs> like, I, I have to learn how to use my new body that I got overnight. Uh, and it's a little bit awkward. And all of this leads Justin Jefferson to be incredibly under. He was a two-star recruit coming out of high school. And that's because, I mean, nobody's going to be looking at the JV team. No scouts are looking at the JV team. So anything he did freshman and sophomore year is completely useless. And as a junior, he doesn't really stand out at all. He's just another kind of weird gangly kid and maybe this is for you and maybe this isn't um at that time though he had i mean his brothers had already been at lsu his oldest brother ricky played with odell beckham and jarvis landry who all of these guys are like in or getting into the nfl during this time so all of these really really good people and um the high school coach, his junior year, had kind of relegated him to like backslide, backside slants. He was not the featured receiver. So yeah, scouts are never going to look at this dude. And hey, that can feel a little bit discouraging when you've, you're you a receiver. You want to be the featured guy and you feel a little bit like you're just a role player. Uh, but in his ear are Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. And when you're a guy that runs a lot of slants and you're wondering, hey, can I make a career out of this? You're friends with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, a couple of guys who did okay being like primarily guys that run slants, uh, guys that take pride in running slants. I mean, Odell Beckham, one of the greatest ever at taking a slant and turning it into a house call, right? Um, you know, so his brother would say, hey, look, like Jarvis and Odell did this and look at this Monday night football play, put this in your game, take a lot of pride in it, right? Um, and, and all of these little bits are sort of adding up to a guy that is going to be good. But you have to give him so much benefit of the doubt in this moment to actually realize it. And the only school in the whole world that's going to do that is LSU because both the brothers are saying, no, 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 this kid's going to be good. Trust me. You just have to trust me. And who, who are you ever going to listen to? Like what school is ever going to listen to that except for LSU with that specific history and that specific deal? But there are a couple of snags here. For one, Going into his uh, or going out of his senior year, Justin Jefferson's grades are bad. 
So there's this like really climactic push to get his grades up. Uh, and it's like literally like the last test he like has to do well. Like it's, it's absolutely movie stuff. And two, Les Miles gets fired. And so that leads this LSU opportunity to maybe go a totally different direction and hire a whole new staff that doesn't even care about the Jeffersons. Why, why would I listen to you? You know, you're not my guy. They had kept a scholarship like set aside for Justin Jefferson for as soon as he became eligible. That's the problem. He wasn't academically eligible to start and he had to do a summer school thing, which meant usually all the scholarships will get eaten up while you're trying to get your grades up. But LSU kept one aside. Uh, and that was Ed Orgeron essentially honoring a deal that LSU had made with the Jeffersons back in the Les Miles days. And Ed Orgeron saying, yeah, 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 no, we'll, we'll keep that scholarship set aside as long as he can get his grades up. And so he did. I, and I would basically say the rest is history, right? He goes to LSU. He, he grows out, fills out a little bit more. He spends uh, 2018 dominating. I mean, doing first round wide receiver things, but he's not eligible yet. Uh, 2019, of course, that's a championship season where he plays in the slot a whole bunch, messes with his draft stock a whole bunch, causes the Eagles to pick Jalen Rager above him. Um, even though, you know, we knew you knew he could play outside because of 2018. That was the way Rick Spielman talked about it. But from there, I mean, yeah, the rest is history, the gritty, the, the total sensation that he is. But there are so many moments, like if he didn't do well enough on that one test, or if LSU had hired somebody else, you know, if they did the Brian Kelly thing, uh, but they did it, you know, in that run, if or something like it, you know, if um, if LSU didn't know the Jeffersons, I mean, if Jordan Jefferson decided, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go to like Auburn, like <laughs> they might not have had the relationship that leads to that scholarship being set aside. And there's this huge support system. That, you know, when, when I get into these stories, you always see the support system and, and how it made it. But uh, as sure of a thing as Justin Jefferson is now, it's so easy to look back with a lot of those guys and say, man, we knew from the get go that this dude was going to be special. And there are guys that are on the roster bubble that had that forever. Right. Like Ross Blacklock we went over yesterday, like he was a total stud at all things. And you're like, this dude's going to be a pro athlete for sure. With Justin Jefferson, that did not become clear. And you had to take a leap of faith. LSU did, the Vikings did, and both programs are getting rewarded for it. Um, then you lead to guys that bet on themselves a little bit. Uh, that is KJ Osborne, the other penciled in starting receiver, Jordan Addison, notwithstanding. Uh, but He's also, I feel, getting taken for granted a little bit. So let's dive into his story. I think the best way to get to know K.J. Osborne is from an anecdote from fifth grade. He was in Pop Warner. He was a second string running back, and he wanted to work his way up. I believe the timeline's aligned here. I, I might be sensationalizing a little bit, but either way, he was like a second string running back that eventually wanted to work his way up to being a starter. And around this same time in his life, uh, he has an uncle named Sean Williams, who is an assistant coach at Lincoln High School in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is only a few blocks away from where he goes to elementary school. And he goes to his uncle and he says, I want to learn more about the game. Can I, I'll be a ball boy, I'll be anything. Can I, can I go learn? As a 10 year old who's like asking for an internship, basically. <laughs> that is the mindset. The KJ Osborne uh, grind set, they, they call it Buffalo mode. 
uh, is the way that if you ask him, like, did you go Buffalo mode in the Colts game or something? That would be a very interesting question uh, to ask him if he even still calls it that. That was more of a college thing, or at least that, that comes from an article that was written when he was in college. Uh, but his he gets it from his parents, who are both big time work ethic people. And K.J. Osborne's work ethic has always been the thing that defines him, this laser focus. If you talk to all of his coaches, I mean, he is the kid that's locked in, right? You know, high school football, a lot of kids will wander and fidget and their eyes will kind of flutter off. Not K.J. Osborne. He's locked in. He is a student of the game. All these cliches that you get. Um, but he really wants to learn as much as he can and work as much as he can. His mom works, worked multiple jobs. His dad is a truck driver. So the idea of long, tedious hours, um, you know, highly challenging things or things that are going to take a long time and take a lot of patience like that is just going to naturally kind of filter and flow down to him. KJ Osborne would eventually play high school football in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, but uh, he quickly realized that he had more talent and that program is not exactly a uh, well-known one. There's not enough exposure. And so he actually got a chance to go to IMG Academy. A lot of NFL players come from uh, IMG Academy. This is a name that you should familiarize yourself with. It's a high school program in Florida that's sort of like this elite of the elite kind of um, you have to really work to get in, but it it really kickstarts you on the path to getting like good college offers and, and maybe even a path to the pros. Um he goes with a teammate, uh, Tyler Mabry. Mar uh, yeah, Tyler Mabry, who was his best friend since they were kids. Uh, and he sort of finds himself surrounded by people who match his own talent. But even there, they don't match his work ethic. Uh, the coach there even says, like, man, you can kind of tell that this kid's going to be able to, to, to achieve great things. Um, even at a place that is kind of filled with people that have that same drive that it's not just an after school activity. You know what I mean? But behind, beside all that, he doesn't really get recruited. doesn't get recruited anywhere in Michigan, which is crazy. That's his home state. Right. And for college football fans, like a lot of you are Gophers fans. You get annoyed when like a good Minnesota recruit goes somewhere else. He kind of, viewed himself as that like man i'm at img i'm this kind of guy and i'm from michigan i would love to go to a michigan school and stay home but he doesn't get any serious offers he gets one offer from southern illinois i want to say it was like a preferred walk-on thing uh which is where his buddy goes uh, and he ends up at buffalo where he will redshirt one year and then in his second year his first chance to actually get in there are a couple of guys at buffalo that are uh, kind of entrenched starter, so he's not going to get a lot of playing time. There's some injuries in the room, which is always how it happens, right? And then you can get a chance to go in and prove yourself. Sure enough, Western Michigan, one of the schools that he totally would have gone to, but they didn't even call him. He actually ends up scoring three touchdowns in that game, and, and he kind of becomes a fixture on Buffalo's offense. So much so, so he, if you remember, he was like a pretty well-loved returner. Uh, in college, but they actually take him off the returning duty a little bit because he becomes too much of a fixture in the offense. He's too, too important to the offense from scrimmage. So they take him, they, they reduce his, uh, his role on special teams a little bit. Um, so he spends his time at Buffalo. He ends up graduating there and then he does the grad transfer thing because again, Buffalo, it's like, there's not the exposure. 
that you're going to necessarily need. He wants to go to maybe a more prestigious school, and he feels like he's earned that, so he goes to the University of Miami, where they have him return, and he explodes as a returner. I think his returning at Miami is a big part of what gets him drafted in the first place because his receiving resume from like an NFL, like to an NFL standard, not quite as much. Uh, and then he gets here and you kind of know the story from there. But when he comes to Minnesota in 2020, you might remember he was a total no show in his 2020, his rookie season. He was meant to be a returner that didn't go very well. He lost that job in the middle of the season. Um, and he even says like, you know, I didn't really feel like I had realized what I fully was yet. Um, and maybe, getting drafted in the same class as Justin Jefferson, and of course there's going to be a camaraderie there, so they become friends really fast, uh, is sort of the godsend here because he goes to work out with uh, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and Justin Jefferson that offseason in 2020, and I believe that he is in contact with Greg Knox, who is sort of a legacy wide receivers coach. Um, Greg Fitzpatrick, father of Dez, um, also is a, a really well-renowned wide receivers coach who was his coach at, I think it was either IMG or maybe it was Buffalo, uh, but he was he also coached KJ Osborne. So there's been a couple of really, really good coaches that have gotten into him. But um, I always say, you know, thank Jarvis Landry for KJ Osborne because whatever happened in that offseason with those players, you can also, a lot of people will credit this to Keenan McCardell as well, but I think this is, could kind of happen before he even met Keenan McCardell. Um Whatever happened there, he came back in that 2021 offseason and totally exploded. Uh, and he was this the, the the sort of breakout star of camp, and suddenly, whoa, this dude can like play. Chalk that up to the work ethic, to the you know the laser focus, the uh, hey, I didn't have a great season. It's not going to get me down because I don't really know a way to engage with this sport other than 100% all in trying to get better and learn how to track the ball. And you give the right teacher to a guy like that, you're gonna find really cool stuff. Um, he's really becoming, I think, I don't know. Some Vikings fans are crazy and just don't like anybody on the team. But uh, to me, he's becoming the, the, the clutch guy. And maybe it's just cause he wears a 17, but it gives me so many like Jarius Wright vibes. Or there's always a guy like that, right? That your third down, your, uh, overtime touchdown in against Carolina, your game winner against, uh, against Detroit week three, the, the guy that kicks off the, the Colts game come back if you remember he was the electricity he was the one that everybody said no it was kj kj was the reason we still felt like we felt in that like we still felt like we were in that game because of the way he was playing you know you see him break a tackle when you're down 33 go oh and go you know what this thing isn't over he has a really important role i think in this team both in, from an x's and o's perspective which i'm happy to go into at a later date if you guys want uh but i talked about it a good bit on the show but also in the locker room and as a person, um, as just th there's a lead by example to it that I, I hope is catching on with some of the young guys as they go into the spring stuff. Uh, next week, we'll, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um, I will be out of town first week in July, so I'll probably have some pre recorded stuff. So if any news breaks, then might miss it, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I will see you all next week, and as always, skull. <laughs>